0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fourth chapter. Glory to you. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I was visiting with a member the other day who served as a merchant marine during World War II, and he had great memories of those days. There was high morale among the troops, and there was a common mission. There was a clear enemy and a will to fight There was a friendship and camaraderie among the soldiers. And these were clearly some of the best memories that this 90-plus-year-old had of those days in the 1940s with his friends. Moving into the 1950s, though, things began to change. Things were not as enjoyable in the Merchant Marine. There was no fight on, you see. And with no fight and the offing, There was little reason to stay as disciplined. Boredom crept in, and so did conflicts among the soldiers. There seemed to be very little reason to exist as an armed force, and that boredom led to problems. It does kind of make you see the wisdom of God's command to Israel that they were to have no standing army, for when you have a highly trained army... With nothing to do, they may go looking for war rather than peace. I don't know of any nation that has heeded God's command to have a no-standing army. But it is a telling illustration, I think. So long as there was a mission, so long as there was a justification, really, for, for them to exist as an armed, trained force, the troops would work well together. They enjoyed their work and they accomplished a great deal together. When the mission was absent, infighting began and morale suffered. Other missions came to be seen as equally valid, and the original mission of the organization was soon forgotten or conveniently reinterpreted to fit the current context. Maybe that sounds familiar. I'll put it simply. The church is a fighting force with a mission, an enemy, and an army. And during warfare, we are clear on our mission. But during times of peace and prosperity, we can get bored and decide to fight with one another instead. We also have the problem of mission creep, forgetting. That our real war is with sin and death and the devil. And we often fight smaller, more local skirmishes instead. Now I understand if the language of warfare makes you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable too. After all, we are to be a people of peace and hope and love. So, Why all this talk of warfare? Well, let's just say that there is no peace until the enemy has been defeated fully and finally. And the enemy will not be finally and completely defeated, although it could be and should be argued that a major turning point of the war took place at the Battle of the Cross. But until Jesus comes again to judge the living and the dead, this war will continue So we remain then at war as individuals and as a church until either the day that we die or the day that Jesus comes again, whichever comes first. And yet, as the enemy is defeated, because even though he is not completely vanquished now, we can defeat him or displace him or ignore him. And as that happens, the fruits of the Spirit become more and more transparent, those fruits that we seek of peace and hope and love. But ignoring the fight or hoping for the fruit is just impossible, if not even irrational. It gets us nowhere. So today, the beginning of Lent, we acknowledge the fight. Spiritual warfare is a reality for us. Temptation never leaves us. The devil never takes you out of his crosshairs. We will never stop being a significant target of victory for the other side. So, here are three ways in which we are at war, and I say these to serve two purposes. One is an encouragement to you, because we all face difficulties and temptations. You are not alone, you're not the only Christian who has struggles. And the other is to remind us of our common mission as a church, to remind you that we're still at war and we still need to be prepared so that we would have the good morale and the camaraderie among ourselves, lest we forget the real enemy and we start to turn on one another. So the first place we look, of course, is our personal battles. We all have them. The devil has no shortage of ways either to attack us. It could be through our lust, our pride, our covetousness, jealousy, fear, anger. There is no one person who has conquered all of their temptations. And the devil knows when and where and how to strike exactly. When you're tired or lonely or depressed, for example you will be especially vulnerable to that which you desire. And please know that attacks will never come to you with the end clearly in mind. Remember that the devil is always happy to play a long game. If it takes 30 years for your soul, he'll play that game. Five years, 50 years, whatever it takes. So what do I mean? Well, you're never going to be offered, for example, a drug with the caveat that if you take it, it will destroy your life. No no one's going to take that, right? You'll never be offered, say, unearned money with the threat that it'll, I don't know, eventually destroy your marriage. Doesn't work that way. You'll never be promised companionship with the warning that it will cost you your relationship with your own children. No, every temptation is always going to come to you with all of the promise and none of the cost. Now, if you feel that you're losing this battle, confess your sins and receive forgiveness. Jesus will forgive you of all sin and temptation. Secrets have great power, and the devil loves for you to keep them. Invite a a friend to pray for you. Go to Individual Confession and Forgiveness. I'll offer it sometime uh, this month. Or go to another pastor, if you like. They'll be more than happy to hear your confession and offer forgiveness. If you must make a radical change in your life to remove temptation from it, we'll do so at once. Now, the church, of course, is also under attack. And just like our personal difficulties come in many forms, we'll so too do pa- attacks upon the church. For example, we may be tempted to fight about things uh, that really don't matter. We might focus too much on beautiful things or aesthetic things uh, and confuse those with our mission. We might focus on a tiny piece of doctrine but make it the all-important hill that we're willing to die on and creating more and more schism. We teach the doctrines of grace, but in an ungracious manner, thereby thereby nullifying the promise. Maybe more common than anything is the despair that we are driven to as a church when the world rejects us, how we are tempted to give up merely because we're small. And then there is the, the cosmic battle the battle that constantly rages between angels and demons, between good and evil, all the influences on and in the world. I really do believe that the the world of ideas matters. That is to say, the philosophies of one day end up becoming the norm in 20 or 30 or 40 years. And some of the greatest lies that the devil has ever allowed us to believe are that truth is unknowable, that virtue is boring, and that freedom alone is some kind of great good. Those are the three pillars, I think, of our modern dysfunction. The church rejects all three such statements. Truth actually is knowable. Truth exists. Some things are true. Some things are false. Some things are good. Some things are bad. And believing that is not being the possessor of the sin of closed-mindedness. It's seeing the truth for what it is. And virtue is not boring. How dare you say that? But joyful. In fact, the, uh, I meant to bring the, the, the psalm up here with me because I noticed the last line spoke of what a joyful life it is to be forgiven. And virtue is joyful. Sin is what gets boring, Talk to anyone who's gone down the rabbit hole long enough and you find out it it, it it eventually gets very boring. And that guilt of sinning against God, the God that you know exists, it gets old too. But in virtue, you can never exhaust the joys that await you. Freedom. Freedom's a good thing, certainly in the abstract. It's a, even something that should be fought for and defended. But freedom alone is the context in which you practice your virtue. None of us are ultimately free from God and his call on our life. Therefore, we do not speak of freedom as Christians as the highest and greatest good we can accomplish. We rather hope for freedom so that we can practice our virtue. So those are the fights that are set before us. And we can win them. It happens all the time, really. I hope I haven't sounded too dour today. Jesus Christ promised us an advocate, and the Holy Spirit, as John says, does indeed guide us to all truth. Through prayer and fasting, and through accepting the Spirit's help, we can overcome many temptations, even as new ones might come and show their ugly face. We can grow In holiness. And as Christians, we possess the fact that Jesus has already been crucified and risen from the dead. He already has begun this final defeat of the devil, that unholy trinity of sin, death, and the devil. So let us accept the fight and let us dig in and win the day. It's not a losing battle. Indeed, the battle has already been won. We're just really living now in light of that victory with the power of Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. If we give up now, though, we lose. And if we deny that we are at war, we lose then, too. So press on. We will win the day. Amen.